Let's pray. Gracious Lord, mighty Jesus, we give you thanks that you are our advocate, that you speak on our behalf to our Father who is in heaven, and that the words you speak are words of love, words of compassion, words of forgiveness, words that secure our resurrection and life everlasting. Help us, Lord, when we speak, to also speak well of others, that what we say and what we don't say and how we say it may bring glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm wearing purple, you may have noticed this, and I don't always wear purple. I'm wearing purple today for a very specific, very important reason. I'm wearing purple because today is Lent. We are now in the midst of the Lenten season, and Lent, to me, is the most meaningful season, the most meaningful time in the life of the church. Lent takes us up to Good Friday and Easter Sunday, the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the culmination of who we are, what we believe, and what we are as the people of God, the gospel in its purest form. Lent is a time, traditionally, of penitence. Does everyone know what penitence is? It's kind of a medieval-sounding word, right? Penitence is essentially taking stock of yourself, looking at your personal, spiritual situation, and realizing who you are, and what you are, who I am, and what I am. We are sinners. We repent. We need to be forgiven. We need help that we cannot provide for ourselves. Lent is a season also traditionally of prayer. Do you know what prayer is? If you don't, we just did one like 40 seconds ago. Right? And in Lent, we focus on Jesus. And specifically, we focus on the sufferings and death of Jesus. We fix our eyes on the cross, knowing that on that cross, God showed us what love really is all about. The fullness of his love was expressed when Jesus died on that cross. So we look to that cross today. We remember that cross today. We remember Jesus and all that he does for us. Amen? Lent has been happening for many, many centuries now. Christians have been doing this Lent thing. And there are a lot of traditions associated with Lent. Can anyone think of a tradition associated with Lent? Soup. Anything else? Giving up something. Fasting. Giving things up. Anybody give something up for Lent this year? All right. About 1.7% of our worshiping population today has given something up for Lent. Because after all, we're, we're Lutherans here, right? And as Lutherans, we're not real big on emphasizing the whole fasting thing, right? Give stuff up. Fasting, that sounds an awful lot like works righteousness. You can't earn God's favor. Grace abounds. Pass the dessert. I'm not fasting. Last week, my family and I, we took a mini vacation. We went to Austin, Texas. Anybody ever been to Austin, Texas? 
Okay, some of you. So I went to Austin, Texas. It's kind of a big town, small city kind of place. Really nice, really wonderful, down-home kind of people. It was great. And I walked around the city, and as I walked around the city, the entire city to me smelled like smoking meat. (laughs) Because I think every third or fourth establishment or so was in the barbecue business. And so in my mind, that's the closest I've ever been to the smell of heaven. And while we were down there, I invented something new. I call it the reverse fast. (laughs) I tried to eat as much meat as I possibly could over a a three-and-a-half-day span. We stopped several times for various meals. We invented some new meals between lunch and dinner. You know, we went one place, you know, we were walking through town, and I'd smell something, you'd smell it, and I'd say, you know, Amber, we gotta, we got to go here. And she said, well, we just, we just went an hour ago. I don't care, I'm on vacation. It gets a three and a half on Yelp. We have to go there. And so we did. So fasting, I, I'm not really into it. That, that's the point of my story. Not my thing, I don't fast. But I get asked about it a lot. Because in this part of the world, there's a lot of crossover, right? And what I mean by crossover, there's a lot of Lutherans and Catholics. We're all kind of living together. We're getting married. We're running around and all this stuff. They go to the preschool. You, know, you get it. And so people ask me about fasting. Pastor Browning, are you fasting? Do you fast? Should I fast? What should I give up? And I've thought about it. And maybe it's something we need to reconsider. Fasting. Giving stuff up. Because in the Bible, Jesus talks about fasting. He does. In Matthew's Gospel, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, when you fast, so he talks about it in such a way that he's assuming like it's happening. He's assuming we're doing it. Jesus says, when you fast, don't make a big show out of it. Don't disfigure your face. To paraphrase, put in modern terms, don't complain to your friends all the time, I'm fasting, I'm so hungry right now. Don't post it all over social media, I'm fasting, it's terrible. Just just fast. And when you think about it, put it in terms of our world right now. Our world right now, it's, it's so much about consuming. It's so much about having more and getting more and thinking we need more. In our world right now, there's a lot of too much, if you understand what I'm trying to say. Binging, binge eating, binge drinking, binge watching, a lot of excess, a lot of waste. And let me put this as best I can in churchy terms, maybe. We are by nature sinful and unclean. We sin in thought, word, and deed. Do you remember saying that ever? Yes. We are sinners by nature. We're sinners in action. We live in a sinful, fallen, broken world. It kind of makes sense, folks. Maybe we should always be on the lookout for things to give up. Things to quit. Things to stop doing. So I'm going to fast. I'm going to give something up. And I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I want to give something up. Something that's meaningful and challenging. 
something that matters. I want it to be a real sacrifice. And I've thought about this so much lately. I thought, and I thought, and I thought. I thought as I watched my television. I thought as I listened to the news and looked at my computer and played on my phone. I thought as I talked to people. I thought as I listened to people. I thought as I walked the mean streets of Austin, Texas, and the meaner streets of Garden City, New York. And as I thought, as I listened, as I spoke, the answer became painfully obvious. What I need to give up. Our world has a lot of problems. And problems aren't so challenging to identify. And I'm going to identify one more today. But I think this problem I'm going to talk about is kind of underneath or intertwined with so many other issues in our world right now. In our world right now, there is a general lack of civility. A general lack of civility. The way we talk to each other. The way we talk about each other. is disappointing, unacceptable, disgusting. The words we use in reference to other human beings terrible. And I want to stop. I get to teach confirmation at this church. And our confirmation program is three years. Sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade. I get to teach the sixth graders. I get to teach them when they first come in. What are we teaching our kids? We're teaching them a lot. One of the things we're teaching our kids is is the Ten Commandments, right? Who's heard of the Ten Commandments? Yeah, I talked about it a couple weeks ago. They're in the Bible, right? Moses, two tablets. You get the idea. We teach the kids the Ten Commandments. Anybody take confirmation? You remember learning the Ten Commandments? Yeah. So we're still teaching the Ten Commandments. They haven't changed. Anybody remember the Eighth Commandment? If you don't, don't worry. There it is. The Eighth Commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You've heard this before, right? You understand essentially what this means, what you're not supposed to do. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That's in the Bible, the book of Exodus, chapter 20, the Ten Commandments, the commandments God gave to Moses. Well, Martin Luther, when he wrote his small catechism, looked at the Bible. Everything involving this commandment, everything about bearing false witness, he condensed into a couple of sentences. What does it mean to keep this commandment? It means this. We're to fear and love God so that we do not tell lies about our neighbors, betray or slander them, or destroy their reputations. So that's what you're not supposed to do. But there's more. There's something you are supposed to do. Instead, we are to come to their defense, speak well of them, and put the best construction on everything. And folks, before we go further, I get it. 
Believe me, I understand. I work with people. I live with people. People are difficult. We're not always on the same page. We butt heads. We're different. People irritate us. They annoy us. They hurt our feelings. They let us down. They don't meet our expectations. People say things and do things that we think are just absurd and ridiculous. How could they do that? How could they say that? How could they think that? I know. But friends, fellow children of God, when you speak about people, speak well of them. And put the best construction on everything. You understand what this means, right? You get it. If you're like me, this kind of slaps you in the face. Because you realize this is so otherworldly. This is so outside the norm of life as we know it, as culture as we have defined it. Everywhere I look, so much of what I hear is not this. Politicians of every ilk, media personalities, people you want to listen to, look up to, admire, people you want to respect, you're desperate to respect. How are they talking? What are they saying about each other? Loser. Moron. Idiot. Insane. Words of Hatred. Nothing less, nothing more. Hatred. You've heard of constructive criticism? Criticism that has a purpose, supposedly. Deconstructive criticism. So many of the words that people speak are, is deconstructive criticism. Words with one purpose and one purpose only. To diminish and demean other human beings. To tear people down. And I hear it all the time. I read it all the time. I hear it in this building. Gossip and slander. Words that are hateful. Words that are hurtful. Words that disrespect, demean, diminish. These words have crept into my home. And I bet they're in your home, too. I bet they're in your school, too. I bet they're in your place of business, too. People hating on other human beings. Ugly, coarse, foul descriptions of fellow humans. What are you talking about? What are you talking about. How many of your words tear down? How many of your words hate? How many of your words diminish? Because I got to tell you, so much of what I hear in every direction it seems sometimes is not putting the best construction on everything. It's doing the opposite 
You know where I hear these words from the most? From me. I got a lot of problems. I got a lot of flaws. I'm not perfect. Surprise! You knew, didn't you? You had a hunch. I struggle with a lot of things, but I struggle with this so much. The first commandment, the eighth commandment. If I could lock those down, life would be better. Words come so easy. It's almost like a reflex. It's so easy to speak to the imperfections of others. It's so easy to point out the flaws of others. And it doesn't take much for those words in that conversation to take a turn south. To diminish, to deconstruct, to hurt, and to hate. I say it too much. I do it too much. And I want to give it up. I want to stop. I want to fast. And I come to Lent, and I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to do. I'm I'm looking at Jesus. There he is. There he is dying for our sins. Laying down his life on a cross for the sake of every single human being who's ever lived. Because Jesus does not discriminate. Jesus does not hate. Jesus loves everyone. And I look at that cross and I take stock of myself and I am ashamed of what comes out of my mouth. I'm ashamed of our world, of life as we have defined it. Stop. I want to stop. Jesus, I want to stop. I want to give it up. Look at Jesus. Awesome. That cross says everything. Do you know where Jesus is right now? And that's kind of a loaded trick question I ask. That's kind of a children's sermon kind of question, right? He's here. Jesus lives in me, and it's true. Jesus on this altar today, it's true. It's all true. But there's more. Right now, as we speak, Jesus is somewhere doing something very important from our second lesson for today. 1 John chapter 2. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not just our sins, but the sins of the entire world. Where is Jesus right now? What is Jesus doing? Advocating. Speaking on your behalf. He is at the right hand of God the Father in heaven, putting the best construction on your existence. I mean, it's, 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 it's radical. It's, it's crazy. Imagine how that conversation might go. You can't, but just think, play with me for just a minute here. Imagine if Jesus told some of the truth. Hey, Father, did you see what Jeff Browning did in college? If you didn't, I have a video. Check it out. Those people at Resurrection Garden City, do you hear what they actually say and think and do? Have you seen what they've done? Do you know what they have in their past? Do you know the radical skeletons in the closet they got going on? Look, here's a video. Always comes back to videos, right? That's not what Jesus says. 
Jesus puts the best construction on us. He says, Father, when you look at those people, when you see them, see me. Because I've washed them in my blood. I've brought them into my family. I've adopted them as my children. I've baptized them in my name. The name of the Father, the name of the Son, the name of the Holy Spirit. I've baptized them in our name. And because of that, my life, my death, my resurrection, the merits of everything I am and everything I have belongs to them. When you look down at them, see me and know that I love them unconditionally, no matter what. When you see them, see my love. When you see them, don't see sinners, see forgiven. When you see them, don't see mortals, see immortal, eternal, resurrected beings who have been reborn and reconstructed in our image. The image of God Himself, brothers and sisters, friends in Christ. Talk about putting the best construction on things. That's how you have been defined in the kingdom of God. Sinners are now called saints. And so we are. And our God calls us to do likewise. To put the best construction on everything. Your words have power. Use that power. Make Jesus known by what you say, by how you say it. Speak words of love, words of compassion, words of peace, words of hope. When you talk about other people, watch what you say. Don't tear down, build up. Don't hate, love. You have the power to make Jesus known. Giving stuff up. I could give up my cell phone. (laughs) But that would just make the world less convenient. I could give up chocolate. I could give up barbecue. But what kind of world would that be? Who would want to live in that world? Not me! But if we gave up hateful words, if we gave up coarse speech, if we gave up words that tore people down, that would be something. We can do better. We can try harder. There's so many issues in the world right now. Don't kid yourself. You're not helpless. I'm not helpless. We can do something about this. We can change the tone of the conversation. We can speak the right kind of words. Words of love, words of compassion, words of forgiveness, words that make Jesus known. In Jesus' name, for Jesus' sake, amen.